John Ziegler here, excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly. And my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at IMBUECBD.com. That's ImbueCBD.com. Promo code John Z. This is episode number 74 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's Individual One Pod. Later in this uh, podcast, we're going to be uh, interviewing Tim Miller. He's a contributing writer for The Bulwark, uh, who wrote a fantastic piece about another scandal involving a foreign country where Donald Trump appears to have been uh, compromised by his own personal interests. That's Turkey. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But first, I want to address the news that has occurred since the last podcast on Sunday. Today, on Wednesday, the second phase of public impeachment hearings have begun, this time in the House Judiciary Committee. This after the the Intelligence Committee uh, had their public hearings before the Thanksgiving break here in America. And the Judiciary Committee hearings are... uh, (laughs) Frankly, they're interesting if you really care about the Constitution and you're somebody who's already been convinced that Trump should be impeached and removed from office. But I don't know who in the world they are intended to persuade. Maybe they're not intended to persuade anybody. I'm amazed that they're getting, at least in the first portion of them, full network television coverage on ABC, NBC and CBS Uh, here in America. That, I guess, is good news, although the ratings for these hearings are going to be, I think, horrendous, because basically all they are are academics talking about the the nature of our Constitution and impeachment and why what Trump did, if uh, proven, is in fact an impeachable offense and why, in fact, he should be removed, uh, at least three of the four Uh, academics that were testifying today indicated that that is indeed the case. The the fourth is a guy who uh, needs to protect his Fox News appearances, Jonathan Turley, who is essentially a Trump supporter on all of this. I don't understand uh, how anyone is going to be remotely convinced by any of this, uh, especially not Trump supporters. I mean, let's face it, the, the people who would be least likely to finally persuade a Trump supporter who has been backing Trump all these years through thick and thin uh, is an academic, a liberal academic, is not going to be the person that's going to suddenly make a light bulb go off over the head of the average Trump supporter. I love the poorly educated. That's just not going to happen. There's just no way. Uh, In fact, if anything, having uh, pointy head liberal academics is only going to make the Trump fan even more 
fervent in their support of Donald Trump because these are the exact type of people they don't want to have influencing the way our country runs. They're the people that they that the Trump supporter blames for where we are, where we're heading in the country, at least in their fantasy world. And look, I've been as critical of academia as anybody. I'm a graduate of Georgetown University, an alleged elite college in Washington, D.C. I would take issue with that based upon my own experience, but that's another story for another day. But I have huge problems with liberal academia. Academia is incredibly politically correct. It is overtly not just liberal, but progressive. But I agree in, in most part with almost everything that the three Democratic witnesses said, at least that I heard during today's impeachment hearings. As far as Turley is concerned, I find him to be uh, overtly hilarious. Uh, this is a guy who was in favor of Bill Clinton's impeachment. And so, you know, here, here's a guy from liberal academia who, who became somewhat well-known because the conservative elements of the media way back then said, hey, look at this guy. Jonathan Turley is actually in favor of Bill Clinton's impeachment. And now here he is having to protect his Fox News appearances. And, and that's really what this is all about. I mean, everyone is just pursuing their own self-interest. And Turley is not going, he can't go back to the left at this point, although I guess in theory he could. But he's decided that it's far better for him personally to continue to have his cottage industry as the the uh, the the chosen academic of Fox News Channel. And so he goes uh, on national television and he demeans the entire case against Trump. Uh, he says a lot of things that don't make any damn sense, at least in, in my view, that are totally hypocritical to his previous view on impeachment. But it's good for him. It's good for him because there's no question that his appearances on Fox News Channel will not just continue. They will be enhanced by his service to the king in, in the impeachment process. But will this move anybody's opinion? No. And uh, unfortunately, we are not at the point anywhere near the point where public opinion is already at the place where it would need to be for Donald Trump to be threatened to be actually removed from office. As I've said many times, he will be impeached, barring some catastrophic event that's unforeseen. But barring an even bigger black swan event, he will not be removed. I wrote a column about this uh, yesterday for Mediate, which you can find at our Twitter handle, at Individual1Pod. I hope you'll check it out. And it explains in great detail a lot of what I talked about in the last episode of the podcast, explaining exactly why politically it's impossible, based upon the current factual record, for Donald Trump to be removed from office. And today's hearings aren't going to change anything. By the way, speaking of hypocrisy, it would be hypocritical for me to not also point out the hypocrisy of some of those on the Democratic side who are involved in this particular hearing. The head of the Judiciary Committee in the House is Jerry Nadler. Jerry Nadler was against Bill Clinton's impeachment, partially because he said at the time that there, there that no impeachment of a president would ever be legitimate unless it was bipartisan. Now, what's interesting about that is, number one, in comparison to this impeachment, the Bill Clinton impeachment actually was bipartisan. There were Democrats who supported it in, in various levels of the process back in 1998 and 1999, and, and a handful of Democrats even voted to impeach Bill Clinton in the House. But Nadler was against it because he, he didn't think that that fit the definition of bipartisan and that an inherently partisan or that a partisan impeachment was inherently illegitimate. Well, here we have a far more, a far more partisan, based upon the record, based upon the votes so far and where, where things appear to be going, a far more uh, partisan process than even what we saw with Bill Clinton's impeachment. Now, I would suggest that has nothing to do with the facts. It has nothing to do with logic. It has nothing to do with the situation. I have said many times that what Donald Trump is accused of, credibly, is far, far worse, far more obviously impeachable than even what Bill Clinton did. And I was in favor of his impeachment and removal from office back in 1998-1999. But Hadler's a hypocrite. Turley's a hypocrite. They're, they're all hypocrites uh, because they're all just doing what's in their current self-interest. And the GOP argument, which seems to now be boiled down to, uh, this is all so partisan. Well, of course it's partisan. I mean, you're making it partisan. I understand the desire for impeachment to be bipartisan. But 
by virtue of the fact that it's not partisan doesn't mean it's illegitimate anymore because we're living in an era where partisanship is so incentivized for many, many reasons, including the fragmentation of the news media. I mean, in 1974, as I've said many times, there's, there was no Fox News Channel. There was no talk radio. There wasn't the same incentivization of hyper-partisanship because the gatekeepers, the news media, they had far more control over things, for better, for worse, sometimes for the worse as a conservative. I, you know, I, I welcomed at first the, the emergence of the conservative media. But now it's created an alternative universe where facts and logic and reality don't matter. And so the reality is if you set the rule, if you set the rule that a, an impeachment needs to be bipartisan for it to be legitimate, guess what you've just done? You've just said to any political party, look, as long as you're enough of a cult, as long as you are incentivized to stand by a, a leader, no matter how corrupt, no, no matter how dangerous, no matter how against our constitutional principles that position might be, then you will be rewarded. It's essentially setting up a heckler's veto. As long as you act like children, as long as you put your hand over your ears and your eyes and you do a temper tantrum, we're setting now the precedent that it's illegitimate. It's an illegitimate process because we've not been able to convince any of these children who are totally incentivized to, to be partisan, to actually do the right thing. Well, that's wrong. That's dangerous. The entire bipartisanship concept was based in a reality that no longer exists. That reality being that the people who are in office, at least some of them, are going to care more about principle, more about the country than their own selfish political interests. That's no longer the case. Correct. We are now living in a completely different realm, a completely different world. We're no longer in Kansas, Toto. That's, that's the situation. And so to use old rules based upon a new reality doesn't make any damn sense. But that's what the GOP is left with. This is, hard, this is partisan, so therefore it's inherently illegitimate. And then the other part of their quote-unquote argument appears to be, this is all just because people don't like Trump. Democrats hate Trump, and so therefore they've been out to get him. Well, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, there's good reasons to hate Trump. There's good reasons. If you, if you hate the idea of our country, which was built after a revolution against a monarchy in Great Britain, based upon the concepts of freedom and liberty in a democratic republic that our founding fathers created, if you hate the idea that somebody is turning us into a monarchy for his own selfish purposes because he views his position not as president, but far more as a king and acts like it and the people around him act like it, if that angers you, that does not make you a bad person. That makes you a patriot. And so this idea that somehow, oh, this is all just because people don't like him. Look, yeah, people don't like him for, for many good reasons they don't like him. Uh, are some Democrats motivated by that? I'm sure. But you would not be able to get almost 100% unanimity among Democrats to impeach a president simply because you don't like him. And I would argue, and I, I think later in the show, when we talk to Tim Miller, you're going to probably agree with this, that uh, if, if I have any problems with this impeachment, is that it's essentially like getting Al Capone for tax evasion. Because, I, you know, to me, this, this whole Ukrainian situation, while serious and outrageous, is, in relative terms, small potatoes in comparison to what we already know about the Russian investigation and his perjury there to Mueller and uh, the obstruction of justice that, that Mueller outlined. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. To me, that is much more significant than what we know happened with regard to Ukraine. And I would even argue that the Turkey situation could even be worse than what we know about with regard to Ukraine. But this this seems to be the easiest case to prove. Uh, and it happened at the right time. Timing is everything in life. And that appears to be why this is going to be the motivating factor for Donald Trump's ultimate impeachment. Uh, in other news related to this, there's been all sorts of reports and disclosures, reports that no one will actually read, that have occurred over the last couple of days. We've got notes from the Mueller investigation that have come about because of lawsuits by media outlets. They continue to substantiate uh, things that are really important 
that no one will now bother with because it's uh, perceived to be old news, things that have further substantiate my view that, for instance, Michael Cohen's testimony to Congress about the Trump Tower situation, which I've always said was the central point of the entire Russian scandal, was in fact coerced and enabled and, uh, you know, suborned, to use a legal term, his perjury was suborned by Trump and Trump's lawyers. That becomes more and more obvious. I continue to be completely confused by why it is that Robert Mueller essentially torpedoed that entire line of attack when BuzzFeed reported it. And he, for the only time as an entire investigation, went out of his way to put out a statement uh, condemning that report. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, to me, that report is still been uh, based in reality. Maybe there were a couple of details that they didn't get 100 percent right. But the reality is that when you look at all the evidence, it is clear to me that Trump and his lawyers suborned Michael Cohen's actual perjury in a far more serious matter than Bill Clinton suborned his secretary, Betty Curry's potential perjury back in 1998, 1999, where he was trying to cover up his affair with Monica Lewinsky. And he brought her into the White House over the weekend, immediately after he realized that he had perjured himself in a civil deposition in the Paula Jones case. He brought his, his secretary in and said, hey, Betty, uh, you, know, you remember uh, Monica and I were never alone, right? I never gave her any gifts, right? Which was clear what he was doing. He was setting her up. Hey, look, you're going to lie for me, right? Because you're the only person I can immediately think of who can prove that I lied in that deposition. Well, she never actually lied. It was just an attempt to get her to, to perjure herself, to cover up for this affair. Of course, Bill didn't know about the blue dress at the time. Otherwise, he probably wouldn't have bothered. But the reality is Cohen did lie to Congress about something exponentially more important. The timing and the nature of Donald Trump's attempt to build a massive tower in Moscow with Russia's approval, with a potential bribe to Vladimir Putin, while he was the Republican presidential nominee. Correct. I mean, come on, people. It's just flat out ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. The whole thing is unbelievable. You cannot be serious. But it happened. And we know more about it now because of these notes. We also have the IG report. This is hilarious. The IG report, the vaunted IG report by this uh, guy Horowitz, the Horowitz report, which uh, Trump, uh, Trump's cult 45 members have been uh, promoting for months. Oh, just wait till the IG report. They're going to prove that the whole Mueller thing was a scam, that it, that it was all, you know, some sort of deep state conspiracy. I love the poorly educated. Well, now it turns out that in a few days, the IG report is going to be coming out, and by all accounts, basically all it's going to say is, yeah, there were a couple of minor errors, uh, some sloppiness, but the basis of the investigation was legitimate, and there's no evidence of criminality, there's no evidence of any sort of conspiracy, and the FBI did pretty much what they were supposed to do. That's, that's what's being reported. Now, it's always dangerous in this day and age to take that for gospel, but there's some indication that that's correct, because Attorney General Bill Barr, who's not really the Attorney General of the United States, he's basically Donald Trump's personal attorney, unfortunately, has, uh, has been already saying that he does not agree with the conclusions of the Horowitz report, the IG report, and that he's now going to be focused on a different report, another attempt to try to give Donald Trump what he wants, which is to finally substantiate this bat crap conspiracy theory that somehow the whole Russian thing was a hoax, that it was not based upon any reality, that it was all an effort to get at, to get Donald Trump. Here's all you need to know, by the way, to understand what garbage this is. I mean, even if you're prone to bat crap, crazy conspiracy theories, here's all you need to know with regard to this crazy FBI conspiracy to spy on and get Donald Trump during the 2016 election. I mean, it's, it is absurd on its face. One, because if you're out to get a candidate, don't you think 
you reveal some of what you found before, before the election? Or do you wait until after he's actually been elected president of the United States for some of this stuff to finally leak out? How does that make any goddamn sense? And then how does it make any goddamn sense that 10 days before that election where you decided to hold all your information that could be theoretically damaging, you're engaged in this conspiracy to make sure this guy no one thinks has a chance to win, is ever going to win, but then 10 days before your leader, James Comey, comes out and holds a needless, in, in, in retrospect, ill-advised press conference where he torpedoes your opponent's campaign i mean come on people i mean how dumb do you have to be to believe that any of this even gets out of the batter's box i love the poorly educated it's absurd and this whole every i'm like i'm so sick and goddamn tired of deep state this and deep state that i I have no idea how powerful this this canard this bullshit this oh everything's deep state Everything's deep state. It's all a deep state conspiracy. I had no idea how powerful this is. It's like magic. You just say deep state and and the Trump people are going to believe it because it's nebulous enough. You don't need any facts. You don't need any logic. You don't even need a goddamn theory. I mean, I'm going to, you know, start teaching my uh, my young children, seven and two years old, that to blame anything that goes wrong in their lives on some sort of deep state conspiracy because people seem to want to believe it. It's all absurd. And yet it works. But, you know, so we've got uh, that those dueling reports now as Trump desperately tries and, and Barr tries to find for him some report to that will eventually substantiate. I'm sure they'll find something. I'm sure they're going to be able to give the cult what they want. The, 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 the cult wants it, so it shall be done because we live in a monarchy now. That's, it's, that's what it's becoming. And then we have this GOP Intelligence Committee report, which concludes, you know what? Uh, we've looked at all the evidence and Trump did nothing. He did nothing wrong in Ukraine. Nothing. U- Ukrainian scandal upon which this impeachment uh, inquiry is based is a big nothing burger. Reminds me of uh, Sergeant Schultz from the old Hogan's Hero TV show. I see nothing. That's what the, Re- the Republican Party is now. Facts mean nothing. Nothing at all. Logic means nothing. Reality means nothing. Nothing means anything. And the Democrats put out their Intelligence Committee report, which was voted to the Judiciary Committee. Uh, There's all sorts of uh, interesting information there, including suspiciously timed phone calls involving Rudy Giuliani and possibly Trump. Although with Rudy, you never know, maybe they were just butt calls. But uh, all sorts of more smoke indicating that this entire story is not just what we've been told. It might even be far worse, far more corrupt than what we were told. And then all this is happening amidst the the NATO summit in Great Britain. I have to at least mention the absolutely hilarious moment that occurred yesterday when I have no idea how this happened, but somehow there's a videotape and it's it's, you know, from a somewhat of a distance, but you can make out most of the words of uh, Canada's Trudeau, France's Macron, Great Britain's Johnson and Princess Anne of the United Kingdom, all standing there at like a cocktail party or something, mocking Donald Trump. They're literally mocking Donald Trump. Correct. And uh, I mean, this is it's like out of a comedy show. You, you can't make this stuff up, especially Princess Anne, who from her reactions uh, in the videos surrounding Trump is clearly not a fan. But it, it, this whole thing, it, it's like a sitcom. It, it's worse than a reality show. You couldn't make this up. And of course, Trump sees the video and just by coincidence, he decides to cancel a press conference and apparently leave the summit early because that's who Donald Trump is. It's all about Donald Trump. It's all about his ego. And what's really striking, and I don't want to make too much of him leaving early and canceling the press conference because I'm not 100% sure that that's directly related to the video. Uh, obviously, that fits a nice narrative for people. It does. It wouldn't shock me if it was directly because of the video, because we know uh, how Trump reacts, and it's all about him, and it's all about his ego, and there's nothing he hates more than being mocked, especially by 
by other world leaders because it, it eats at his own insecurities. So I'm not 100% sure that the two are uh, uh, directly connected or that one is 100% related to the other. But it is amazing. It is amazing that Trump would even allow that to be the perception. Because when you think about it, what's he being accused of in the impeachment inquiry? He's being accused in the impeachment inquiry of allowing his own selfish personal interests to impact his foreign policy in Ukraine. All right? He's allowing his selfish interests. He's using money that was voted on by the Congress, military aid desperately needed by our allies in Ukraine to fight off the Russians. He's injecting his own personal self-interest in the actual uh, way that that foreign policy plays out. That's the essence of it. Well, what's he doing here? He's allowing his interaction with our NATO allies and, and his conducting of foreign policy with major, major players at the NATO conference to be impacted by what? His own selfish personal interest. So in a very real way, he's substantiating, by even allowing this to be the perception, he's substantiating the underlying claim in the Ukrainian scandal for which he's currently being impeached. You couldn't make this up, but it's reality. That's the world we now live in. And speaking of things you just can't make up, and yet, for some reason, very few people are focused on, I, I've, I referenced already that I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with Turkey, a story that has largely been forgotten. And a conservative writer at The Bulwark named Tim Miller has done some great work on saying, hey, wait a minute, uh, guys, shouldn't we look at the massive conflicts of interest that Trump has financially in Turkey and some of his decisions that he has made there and how that has impacted American foreign policy. Well, that uh, was written just before the Thanksgiving holiday. We've only now gotten a chance to schedule an interview with Tim. So let's talk to him now. Tim Miller, contributing writer for The Bulwark. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, so good to be with you. Tim, I want to get into your uh, very, very interesting article about uh, Trump's corruption in Turkey, which you wrote uh, just before the Thanksgiving break. And uh, we've only now been able to schedule an interview with you. But uh, clearly, in conjunction with this, and it kind of is how you lead off with this piece, I'm of the belief that this story is an example of how Donald Trump actually bizarrely benefits from the sheer magnitude of his corruption because, one, we can't focus on all of it at the same time, and, two, it's difficult for us to wrap our brains around just how uh, large and expansive the corruption is. Do you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. And I think that if you haven't already, I'm stealing this. This is not an original uh, analogy for me, but uh, your listeners can, can Google Mr. Burns is indestructible. And it's from The Simpsons where old Mr. Burns goes to the hospital and he has so many diseases that they're all trying to get through the doorway uh, but but it, it creates a traffic jam, and not one disease can actually get through to kill him. Uh, and and I think that is a very apt analogy to what is happening with the president. Uh, you know, there are uh, so many uh, daily outrages, so many scandals, so much corruption uh, that it's hard to focus long enough on one of them um, uh, in in order to absolutely kill him. And I think he benefits from the media's. Um, uh, you know, obviously, the media, a lot of members of the media have a personal bias against him, but, but there are also these journalistic biases towards newness, you know, towards balance uh, that he benefits from. Uh, you know, and, and journalists, uh, I think, during this era have, seen, have not really seen up to the challenge of um, dealing with someone who uh, uh, doesn't just kind of lie like a politician lies, but brazenly and constantly uh, lies and, and isn't just corrupt like a normal co politician is corrupt, but it's constantly acting with corruption, uh, and 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 that, that it's made it challenging, I think, for for reporters to to deal with all that. And, and this, you know, Turkey is a prime example. Uh, there's just no oxygen in the room to talk about something that would be, you know, I, I think a defining potential scandal of another administration. And a large part of that is our incredibly short attention spans. I've always believed that part of Trump's genius 
And part of why he is able to manipulate the media so well is that he's so much like them in that he has, in, in, in his own world, he has a very, very short attention span, and so does the news media. And it's remarkable to me that we've already just completely forgotten about what happened in northern Syria and with the Kurds and, and all that is surrender, uh, surrounded, uh, obviously, by Turkey and the president's relationship to Turkey. And so I, I assume that that's what motivated you to write this piece. So to tell us, you make a very compelling argument that, that what you just said is true, that in, an, in another world, in a rational place, this would be all we would be talking about. Uh, uh, and yet it's already been forgotten. So so go ahead and, and, and make your case on that. I will. And just briefly, I, I, I totally agree with you on Trump and the media. He has a lizard brain for cable news. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just this guy has a lot of weaknesses, but he just has this strength of playing these uh, reporters like a fiddle. And, and I think he just knows instinctually what's going to get them to change the topic and, and to move on. So absolutely true. As regards to, to, to Turkey and to the article that I wrote. Um, uh, you know, basically, I, I put together a compilation of, of reporting by, by, that had been done in the region and, and some that had been done here by The Times and NBC News that looked into Trump's uh, relationship with Turkey. And, and, you know, the, uh, and it was prompted by John Bolton's comment, which I think was a, you know, maybe an off-the-cuff aside uh, at a private paid speech in Miami um, uh, where he said that, uh, he believes that the president's decisions in Turkey were based on uh, personal or business interests. And, and, you know, that, that got some attention. You know, it was maybe in the news for an hour. You might have seen it on your Twitter feed the day that it happened. But, but that really stopped me in my tracks. And I, I thought about it for a second. I was like, this is, you know, this, you know, imagine, uh, you know, Susan Rice or Condoleezza Rice <laughs> leaving the administration and, and accusing their old boss of, of of letting their personal business and financial interests get in the way of national security decisions. It was a shocking claim. And, and if what Bolton is saying is true, uh, uh, was it is, I would argue, the biggest scandal uh, uh, in, in, a, in an administration in you know, uh, my parents' lifetime, certainly, uh, uh, and certainly in modern times. And so um, you know, we, I, I went back and kind of looked at what the basis could have been around that Bolton claim. And, and, you know, in short, what I found is Trump has admitted that he has a conflict of interest in Turkey. He said so to Steve Bannon in a podcast in 2015. Uh, he has active financial interest in the country. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, the Trump towers in Turkey were making, were making him seven figures a year when the deal was struck uh, in the, uh, around 2012. Uh, in recent years, it's been seven figures. It's been around a million dollars a year, um, which is not nothing. And, and and that is just what's known based on the paperwork. Where right? we don't have, you know, there's a lot of opacity to to the Trump businesses. But but we just know based on you know uh, other companies' filings that they have uh, at least seven figures um, at stake every year uh, when it comes to Turkey. And then you look at who Turkey. Has has named as their point person in dealing with the United States, and and uh, uh, if there are any Turkish listeners, I'm sure I'll butcher this name, but it's it's Mehmet Ayasendag, whose father-in-law was Trump's business partner on those on the Trump Towers, uh, uh, or uh, his name is Doan, and then his wife is on the board and holds a 10% stake in the company that that Trump is in a partnership with in Turkey. So. So Turkey's lead negotiator in our country has an active financial is an active financial business partner with the president through his wife and through his father-in-law, and, and so you know I think then when you look at the series of decisions on Turkey, uh, uh, and, and we can go through them, you know I'm sure, but but the overwhelming trend is that that Trump, a lot of times in strange fashion, has sided with Turkey against sanctions, uh, you know, that the, the Congress had put forth. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, um, you know, most notably in the actions with the Serbs, Serbs in, or the Kurds in northern Syria, uh, with the, uh, uh, um, you know, the goonish behavior of Erdogan's uh, security forces when they came to visit Washington. Time and again, Trump has sided with Erdogan in, in ways that are eyebrow-raising. And, and so I, I, I think that that has to you know, raise the question that Bolton raised, which is why, you know, and, and uh, you know, there's certain certainly other scenarios where Trump has not been so um, um, 
generous uh, in his dealings with other world leaders. So why Erdogan? And, and you know, once you look at just how entangled he is with the businesses, um, you know, it, it makes a pretty compelling argument that, that that has something to do with it. Yeah, this is not some sort of bizarre conspiracy theory. This is a this is a situation where Trump himself has admitted, as you suggested, hey, I got a conflict of interest here because I have the Trump Towers in Istanbul, and uh, they make a lot of money for me. And Erdogan has has shown a, a willingness. In fact, he at one point you point out uh, threatened to take the Trump name off of them because of the the Muslim ban that Trump was proposing. And so this is a guy who has shown Trump, hey, look, uh, you know. I, I'm uh, willing to punish you if you don't do uh, what I like or or vice versa. And it's also important to point out, and the Turkey thing has always nagged at me uh, from very early on in the administration when one of the first things we found out is that that the guy who he first hires as the national security advisor, Michael Flynn, uh, uh, ends up being uh, uh, charged with and convicted, or I guess pled guilty to to not uh, uh, to not disclosing that he was an agent of Turkey, uh, being paid by Turkey, used as a propaganda tool for Turkey, and as you already also mentioned, this bizarre scene. I believe it was in early 2017 when Erdogan comes yep. to this country and on in this country has his goons beat up protesters on our soil and nothing happens. <laughs> I, I mean, right off the bat, those two situations, the, 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 the goon circumstance that you referenced and the Michael Flynn story coming very sim- very close to each other as far as timing, I'm like, why in the world is no one putting these pieces together and why are we not talking about this? I'm assuming you had a similar reaction. Yeah, especially with, you know, Trump's whole persona is the tough guy, right? The strong man. Why, you know, why is why time and again is he folding in instances when it comes to Turkey and, and also obviously Russia? You know, I mean, it, it is. It is noteworthy, right? You, you know, you would think that this would be a time where Trump would want to send a message, you know, that, you know, the, uh, of American strength, that you do not come onto our soil uh, um, and act that way. Uh, it, it, it was very jarring. And the Flynn issue has been my you know, number one hobby over the beginning of this administration. It's, it's almost as, with that, as, as if that has been memory hold by people, that, that the guy in the most sensitive national security uh, 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 office in this administration, the most important role uh, named by Donald Trump was an active agent, an active foreign agent of Turkey. Uh, similarly, I pointed out in this piece, Rudy Giuliani, who is tied in with the Ukraine issue, obviously, also tied in with Turkey. He is representing a man named Reza Zarab. Uh, he, uh, 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 legally, uh, again, quote-unquote legally, w- w- Rudy is always just the lawyer for people, but he never actually goes into a courtroom. So, you know, qu- he's a quasi-lawyer for Reza Zarab. Uh, who uh, was convicted of uh, evading Iran sanctions uh, um, using a Hulk bank, a bank in Turkey. Uh, Zarab was actually living in Trump Tower's Istanbul when he uh, uh, when this scheme was plotted. Came into came to America, got arrested. Rudy is representing him and and was pushing the president to trade Zarab uh, for the pastor, Pastor Brunson, who was in jail in Turkey. And insane. And, and Trump agreed with that, by the way. Mentioned it to Tillerson. Tillerson, uh, you know, using rare good judgment, nixed this. But but they were planning to trade and uh, somebody that was convicted of Iran sanction of, of sanctions violations for a pastor who did nothing uh, and and w- and was being held in a in a Turkish prison uh, 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 just as a bargaining chip by the Erdogan administration. Again, negotiating from this huge position of weakness. And and fast forward today, this Hulk Bank case is still ongoing. Uh, you might have seen uh, last month there was this prank call by a radio host to Senator Lindsey Graham where they pretended to be Turkey's defense minister. Right. There was a great Politico story on this. And Graham volunteers to that prank caller that, that Trump has told him in private conversations he's very sensitive to the Hulk Bank case, very sensitive to what's happening with Turkey, and he's keen to do what he can to resolve it. <laughs> Time and again, Trump is going out of his way to appease the Turks. Um, and, and, you know, given uh, his financial entanglements, given Bolton's uh, uh, suggestion, I, you know, this seems like it's the Ukraine situation on steroids, but instead of having a political interest in play, it's a financial in- interest in play. And this, I, I just, my final you know, statement on this is 
time and again, you know, I think people get sick of this. They get tired of hearing, oh, this is unprecedented. This has never happened. This is unprecedented. We've never had a president with an active business interest against a quasi-hostile foreign government and, and uh, where he is making decisions where potentially both interests could be, you know, could, could be in mind. Do you have a theory, Tim, on what was really going on with Mike Flynn? Because I don't get it. I don't. I don't understand what was really. Was it just simply money? Or, I mean, or was there something deeper than that going on? I, I mean, I mean, you know, I, this is kind of second and third hand, but uh, you know, talking with folks, you know, who knew Flynn, uh, you know, who were uh, in the military with him uh, and other projects that I've worked on, I, I think he sort of was flying off the handle. Um, uh, just from a from a mental mental health standpoint, which is you know wonderful for somebody in a national security advisory role, and, and I think really had kind of decided that people were out to get him, and and sort of had made this decision that he could act with impunity, you know that, that Trump was going to win and that he was a made man, and so there is a financial uh, stake at play here, uh, and uh, you know he, I, I think he had good reason to believe he could have gotten away with it, um, you know had he not gotten uh, tied up into the Russia. Uh, 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 investigation, the Mueller investigation. I, I don't think that there's any reason to believe that this that it would have become public. This is this is what I'm saying. There, there, you know, I, I, Trump has business interests in the Philippines. Nobody's talking about that. I mean, I think that there are uh, a number of corrupt actors that that are happening in this that are in this administration under the radar who believe they can act with impunity. My, uh, I, Scott Pruitt is a guy who I thought was a very um, earnest. A public servant who got in there, and and you know I think they, these people see how Trump acts, and they believe that they can be mini Trumps, and then they sort of lose rationality and start to act, um, you know, in corrupt fashion, believing that they can also get away with it. And so uh, I, I think it's as simple as that. And and then secondarily, that the Turks, you know, have a lot at stake with this administration. These are not, these are big issues, right? Control over you know land and uh, uh, eastern Syria. Uh, massive sanctions. You know their their economic situation is precarious. Um, you know the, Erdogan has personal interests uh, with regards to um, you know uh, uh, some of the exiled uh, Turks that are here in America uh, that he wants to you know get uh, that brought back to Turkey. So you know I think that the Turks were also very aggressive in looking for people to co-op, and Flynn was an easy mark. I'm a cynic when it comes to virtually everything, but particularly when it comes to what will impact uh, Trump. With regard to Republican uh, public opinion, you're you're a Republican, or at least have been. I'm a Repub- lifelong Republican. I don't even know what I am anymore. Uh, but, and, and and I and I thought, um, you know, I, I actually did think there was a chance that because people actually died uh, in our allies, the Kurds, uh, because of uh, thing, uh, decisions that were directly as a result of this massive financial conflict of interest that Trump had, that some people might be offended by that. And there's there's no evidence that that occurred, I think partially because the media moved on very quickly, partially because the Republican Party is now just so deeply emotionally invested in Trump that it doesn't matter uh, what he does. Uh, but but do you have a, a, an explanation for, for why even the Kurdish situation didn't move the needle? Uh, I mean, one of the things that, that struck me as I read your article is the biggest problem this story has is, one, uh, Turkey isn't in the, the forefront of most people's minds. And as you've already referenced, the names in this story are unpronounceable to Americans. <laughs> and uh, and, and as, 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 as stupid as that is, that's a huge problem because then you can't get people invested in the story because they don't know the names. Uh, what, what's your theory on it? Uh, I, my theory is simple. Um, all of these uh, members of Congress and the Senate have made their bed, and they have determined that they are going to go along with Trump to stay in the mix, to stay in power as long as needed, and and, and so they're not going to turn on him until their voters turn. And it's it's Groundhog Day, you know. I'm sure you do too, John. I hear from, uh, you know, I was communications director for Jeb, so I have relationships with a decent amount of the moderate members, um, or you know, establishment, if you will, uh, former establishment uh, members. And if something like like Trump's actions with the Kurds will happen, and I'll, my texts will start to happen, you know, I'll get a couple texts from uh, uh, people like this is this is the last straw. You know? <laughs> like, this is just unconscionable that he's doing this. What can we do? What do you think we should do? And I'll respond with some suggestions on things to do, and you know, we'll go back and forth. And then three days later, uh, you know, we'll be on to something else, and they'll see that they didn't move their voters. 
and uh, uh, and you know the, 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 the calculation is the same as it was in Charlottesville, and the same as it was you know uh, uh, with Access Hollywood, and the same as it was when they were jailing green card holders in airports, and and time and again. And so I, I think that's it. At the end of the day, the only thing that's going to move these people is something that actually moves their voters. And despite the lip service that everyone paid to the Kurds and to you know Christian minorities in the Middle East, the reality is. Most people with a small minority of, I think, very active Christians, uh, like just don't care. They just don't care that much about the Kurds. And at the end of the day, they care more about, uh, you know, owning CNN and owning the libs than they do about the plight of the Kurds. And, and, and so nobody's going to change their actions until that changes. As uh, pathetic as it is, I agree with you uh, 100%. Um, I, 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 I guess the, the biggest takeaway, though, I have from your piece on Turkey, which I urge people to read, is can you imagine, uh, and I know you can, but I'd like people to themselves to, to think about what a second Trump term with no accountability to the voters will look like with regard to foreign policy. I mean, it, it, to me, it's we ain't seen nothing yet. Do you agree with that? Totally. And, and in a lot of ways, um, Trump and I guess us as a country have been very lucky. You know, there, I, there, there has not been major exogenous foreign policy events that he's How, by the way, with. why hasn't you that know? happened? Why, why? What's your view on why that hasn't happened? Because I am baffled by that. I mean, you know, I'm I'm a believer that uh, that Trump is in some way, shape, or form compromised by Russia, but why hasn't Russia taken more advantage of that? I mean, for instance, I mean, just using that as an example. I mean, it is yeah. it's amazing. We are incredibly lucky so far, but I can't imagine where that's going to maintain itself for another five years. I agree with that. I, I think that part of it is. Uh, maybe some of these, you know, some of these dictators are thinking, you know, boy, we have it good right now, uh, and so why rock the boat? Uh, you know, it's hard for me to get my head into the mind of a despot and decide why they're not doing anything. I, you know, part of this stuff is just random and and you know, luck that uh, um, crises have been averted. Uh, but I, I, absolutely, I just I think it's. You know, and, and obviously there have been, you know, look, uh, I, I think that if there are any listeners who have relationships with, with the Kurds or, you know, the, uh, uh, obviously the kind of reporter who is beheaded by Saudi Arabia, and obviously things have happened, but, but nothing that has, has forced Donald Trump's hand. Um, uh, and, and in a second term, uh, I, I just think you have to imagine that that luck runs out. Well, Tim Miller, uh, contributing writer for The Bulwark, thanks so much for your time and uh, great work on that piece and keep in touch. John, anytime. Have a good one. Now, in a moment, I'll have a few closing thoughts on this episode and the most recent political events, specifically in the Democratic primary. But first, here is an important interview I did with Tom Bauer, the founder of our sponsor, Imbue CBD. Tom, thanks so much for joining us and for your sponsorship of the program. Please uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your company, Imbue Botanicals. Sure, John. Imbue Botanicals produces really the most extensive line of premium clinical-grade, full-spectrum CBD products, including tinctures, capsules, topical lotions and salves, and even award-winning beauty products. They're available in multiple strengths for both people as well as pets. Our premium Colorado-grown hemp products are non-GMO, cruelty-free, and even vegan. Now, a lot of people might not be that familiar yet with CBD. It's getting a lot of publicity, but for those who aren't, what is CBD and why do you guys think it's so important? CBD is short for cannabidiol. It's one of the 115 or so cannabinoids that are found in the cannabis plant. It's generally accepted as the cannabinoid or the element, basically, that provides the health benefits for cannabis. But science has shown really that CBD works best when combined with all the other cannabinoids and the natural terpenes that are found naturally in the plant, which is why our products are full spectrum, meaning they offer a full cadre of all the cannabinoids and terpenes for maximum effectiveness. Now, Tom, you mentioned that Imbue uses hemp. Tell our audience, if you will, the difference between hemp and marijuana, and why your product is not the latter. Great, John. It's really important to understand this. You know, we're all familiar with medical marijuana. Our products are, are not made from marijuana. They're actually made from hemp. Basically, hemp and marijuana are both the cannabis sativa plant. The difference is that hemp contains extremely low levels of THC, which is the cannabinoid that makes you high when you ingest or smoke marijuana. By law, hemp must contain 
0.3% or less of THC by dry weight. So, so low, basically, that you can't get high from the product. So, in essence, basically, with hemp, you get all the health benefits of medical marijuana without the high or the psychoactive effect of THC. I should also add here that Congress last year passed the 2018 Farm Bill, which essentially legalized hemp federally and descheduled all the non-THC cannabinoids. So essentially, it's it's uh, it's legal, which obviously people want to know. You know, can can I buy it? Can I use it? It's legal. Now, when when I use it, it's really helped my sleeping. I've only just started using uh, some of your products, but tell us uh, what are some of the benefits that our listeners might find if they if they use Imbue Botanical products. Really great question, John. We're actually not allowed to make claims about CBD or products per the FDA. Just an aside, if your listeners come across sites out there that are making health claims, we should always just avoid them. Just you don't want to deal with, with folks like that. It's, it's not legal to do that. But that doesn't mean that there aren't health benefits to CBD. We at MU Botanicals always encourage our customers to do their own research. There is a ton of information and studies available on the Internet. You want to talk to your physician, your independent pharmacist, even your veterinarian. You know, become informed. We've seen some absolutely amazing things personally and with our customers. Obviously, you know, the onus, if you will, is on each individual to to go out there and, and do the kind of research to see if it may be a fit for the kind of things that they're experiencing. Also, you know, check out our website, which has a ton of additional information as well. And that website is? It's www.imbuecbd.com. It's www.imbuecbd.com. Now, you mentioned the FDA, and just before we taped this interview, there was a news story where the FDA put out a warning and sent letters to, I think, 15 different CBD companies. Yours was not one of them. It was perceived as the FDA basically, I don't know, seemed to be like, backing away a little bit from CBD. What was your interpretation of what the FDA did and and how should our listeners interpret it? That's an extremely good question as well, John. And I think first and foremost is what the FDA is doing, especially when they're sending out letters to companies that they send letters out to, is doing their job. Their job is to really protect the American public from, you know, basically, you know, drugs that shouldn't be there, that are doing what they're supposed to do, that can cause harm, and also making sure that companies are doing what they're supposed to do. In in the case of these letters, these companies were making health claims simply because of how FDA operates and and the way that, uh, you know, CBD, which is basically a kind of a a brand new uh, thing for FDA, they're not allowed to make. You know, I'm glad that they're doing that. You know, we never make claims uh, at Imbue Botanicals. That's something that, that is, again, is, it goes back to the customer to do a lot of their own research on. They also came out with some basic overviews and essentially said you should really know what you're doing before you take CBD. It's not necessarily something you should be taking in water and in food products. You should basically get the kind of information that you need and talk to your healthcare team, your physician, your pharmacist, your, your veterinarian, to make sure that there's a medical professional, you know, kind of assisting in the process. Now, in my experience, having used the product and seen the packaging and everything, you guys are totally first class, but first class comes with some expense. You guys are a little bit more expensive than your competitors. Tell us, tell us why you bring more value. We are more expensive than some folks, and certainly not more expensive than others, but uh, but we're, we are a higher-priced product, and the reason for that is, is where we grow, how we extract, how we formulate our products. We do that for maximum effectiveness. And, you know, what our folks tell us, and whether they're the pharmacies that we sell to or the customers that use our product or patients who use our product every day, they tell us that the product works and works better than things that uh, other products that they bought. It's more expensive to do it correctly, but ultimately that's obviously what customers want. If you're going to spend the money, They want something that works, and that's what our products do. So, Tom, if our listeners want to buy your products or learn more about them, where should they go? Go to our website. It's www.imbuecbd. That's www.imbuecbd.com, imbuecbd.com. Tom, thanks so much for your time and your sponsorship. John, thank you. Thanks for what you're doing. Appreciate it. In our closing moments of the podcast, I do want to at least mention a major development in the Democratic primary to face Donald Trump in next year's general election. Kamala Harris has dropped out. And this is really kind of shocking. I mean, if someone had told you uh, during the summertime that she wouldn't even make it 
to 2020 and wouldn't even come close to making it to the the first caucus in Iowa or the first uh, primary in New Hampshire, they would have told you, wow, okay, there must have been some sort of scandal that caused her uh, her candidacy to implode. And that's not the case. She just faded away. I mean, this is a woman who in the first major debate was given credit for potentially taking out Joe Biden. This is how bad the news media is. Kamala Harris, and I felt I didn't feel like she took Joe Biden out, but I was worried about her at the time. So I'll admit that I misjudged the situation at least a little bit, although there there were some reasons for that. But, uh, you know, there, there was a whole bunch of publicity surrounding the idea that Kamala Harris had usurped Joe Biden somehow as a a major frontrunner when she took him on in that uh, first debate. And now here she is literally dropping out while Joe Biden's national poll numbers are in some ways stronger than they have ever been. And, uh, and And I don't like Kamala Harris. I live in California where she is a senator. Uh, I I think she is way, way too progressive. I I have some issues with uh, how she got to where she is. Uh, I think she's a little bit of a fraud. She's somewhat disingenuous. And this is going to sound contradictory, but I actually thought that other than Biden, she had a pretty decent chance of beating Trump, largely because she at least gives off the impression of having some balls. And, uh, and, and, and she's a strong personality and she's well-spoken and a, and a good debater. And, you know, I, I, I think she had some qualities that there are few others in the democratic race that, uh, that they possess. And so while I'm glad she's not going to be the next president, I'm a little bit wary that anything that, you know, there's only a certain number of people that can win the nomination, right? So if you take her off the list, she was one of the four or five that had a chance. Even though I didn't want her to be president, taking her off the list is a little bit scary to me because it kind of inherently increases the chances of someone like a Warren or, God forbid, a Sanders winning the nomination who would scare me even more as president and who I think have a less chance, a lesser chance of beating Donald Trump. And so I'm a little bit uh, wary, I guess is probably the right word, uh, of celebrating Harris's demise because I think she was a at least a, a, a theoretical backup plan uh, if Joe Biden imploded for someone who could beat Donald Trump. I don't know who that backup plan is right now, because now we're basically down to four people that can win the Democratic nomination. Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, theoretically Bernie Sanders, and Pete Buttigieg. Now, I don't feel that confident about Buttigieg because the media won't tell you this, but the fact that he is gay and has a as a husband is not going to play particularly well in certain areas of the country should he be the Democratic presidential nominee. I don't think anyone knows for sure how it will play, but you know, a small town mayor in Indiana who's very sh- short of stature and who's going to get dwarfed on a debate stage by Donald Trump and who happens to be gay with a husband, that's that's some problems. I mean, plus he's 37 years old at that time. So I don't know why in the world you would take a race that you want to be a referendum on Donald Trump and, and make it more about whether Pete Buttigieg is acceptable to the majority of Americans to be president. So we're down to four, which essentially means we're basically just down to Biden. Biden is the only guy who I, I'm still confident would beat Trump. And thankfully, at least on the national level, for some reason, because Elizabeth Warren has faded uh, he's now in, in pretty good command. Whether that will translate to Iowa and New Hampshire, I don't know. Maybe things change if he loses Iowa and New Hampshire. But nationally, his numbers have never been stronger. And so I guess that's the, the bright side uh, of all this. The downside is that, and this is partially why I wrote my column that Trump is not going to be removed from office, the reality is that Trump's approval ratings are now bouncing back. There was at least theoretical hope that after those impeachment hearings in the Intelligence Committee and after Thanksgiving and people talk to their friends and relatives. They're, they're, theoretically, I didn't believe this was going to happen, but in theory, there was always the chance that somehow 
his approval ratings would continue to dip. They'd go below 40 percent. There could be some momentum. People could get scared. None of that's happening. If anything, it's going in the other direction. There's a rally around Trump effect. Why? I do not understand it. But the numbers are there. Uh, His numbers are rebounding. I think it's probably just because people have forgotten already about the Intelligence Committee hearings. They've already forgotten about Gordon Sutherland's testimony. And, and, and And as I've said many times with the Ukrainian story, there's no personal impact to people's lives. And that's why they're able to forget about it so quickly. And so uh, with Trump's numbers approval from his approval rating standpoint increasing, I'm going to now uh, put the chances of him not finishing his first term in office back into single digits. It's now just 9 percent. His reelection number I'm going to keep at 40 percent, again, largely because Biden continues to be strong and getting stronger, at least with regard to the national poll numbers. So, again, please, no wagering. But currently, 9% chance that Trump does not finish his first term in office, 40% chance that he is reelected. That'll do it for this edition of the Individual One Podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's Individual One Pod. Until next time, which will probably be earlier than normal, probably Saturday this weekend. So look out for that. My name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network. 